So I want to talk tonight about something that we mention and we refer to quite often, but sometimes we don't go into detail about it or explain it. And it just came to me a couple of weeks ago. I, I talked about this I, on my, at my Saturday class. I teach on Saturdays every, five, at, every Saturday at 5 o'clock here. And I, and I wanted to get into uh, the topic of the second arrow. Have any of you heard that that um, that that phrase, the second arrow? Yeah, and it's like, well, what exactly does that mean? And there's a there's a sutta um, called the second arrow, or the arrow, or the dart, depending on how it's uh, translated, because different different uh, translators um, use different words. Um, give the give something a different nuance, and really, it, it's a teaching about how we relate to our experiences. It's how it's basically uh, a teaching about how we create our own dissatisfaction in this world. It's really about the Buddha's um, uh, second <clears throat> noble truth. The second truth is the origin of our suffering is our inability to be at ease with the way things are our craving for things to be um, pleasant most of the time. And that goes back to a real, um, you know, a, a hard, how we're hardwired to um, avoid danger, avoid pain. I mean, it's a survival mechanism. But as uh, we have evolved into a really uh, a, a distaste of anything unpleasant, we don't want anything to be not okay. We're really interested in things being good all the time. And that is where we create our own discomfort, our own dissatisfaction. Um, you know, and when something happens that is unpleasant, um, and the, or something happens that is pleasant, a whole bunch of mental processes kick off. We just kind of, something happens and instead of just rolling with it, um, we give it all this meaning. Oh, he said that, or I heard he said that, so that means this. I was visiting my brother last weekend. I, I flew up to Portland and spent the night with my brother before I drove up to the retreat, and I hadn't seen my brother in five years, and, and he and his wife are there, and, and his daughter lives up there, and I hadn't seen her in five years either. And they were talking about how they texted her to come over to meet us for dinner, and she's really, whenever you, if you say 6 o'clock, it's going to be 8 o'clock before she gets there, so they have to maneuver and this and that, and, and she text, they texted and they didn't head back, and it's like, and then they were going, well, she's probably pissed off because of this, and I was just sitting there, and they're just creating these scenarios, and, and it was like very, it was like dramatic in a certain way. Like, we must have pissed her off, and she's probably depressed because that friend of her told her that she didn't like her, her shoes the other day. And I'm like, this is amazing. When you're out of that kind of world of, of the mind just kind of running amok, then you uh, are quite, uh, I am at least quite enchanted <laughs> when I see this happening and I go, wow. You know, it turns out she uh, took a nap and fell asleep and didn't hear the text. You know, and that's why she never got back to us. And it's like, of course, it's always something like that. Does that ever, have you ever had that experience where you've made this great scenario 
and it turns out to be this. Or what I have a tendency to do with someone, if, if I am, I remember I've had this all for you know a great part of my life. If I had was going to have a difficult conversation with someone, I would practice and practice and practice and <coughs> really, you know, I know it's going to be difficult, and they're going to be they're going to say this, and I'm going to have to say that, and I have to stick over myself, and you stay up all night and worry, 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 and you get to the place, and they never say a single thing, and they're lovely and sweet and kind, mm-hmm. and, and your life's off. Anybody? I, but that, you know, but we, our mind goes off into these places, and we, that is what the Buddha describes as suffering. I mean, that's just a little part of what we can describe as suffering, or dissatisfaction, or un, um, disease, uneasiness. Um, this way of living that is just unsettled. We need to have things tied up in bows. You need to make sure it's okay. And so we create these scenarios. Something happens, uh, an, uh, we have some kind of sensory experience, a thought, a smell, we hear something, we see something, and we go off into this world. And what the Buddha talks about in this teaching is that we have the first arrow. We hear something that's unpleasant or pleasant. We just experience something that is what it is, and then the second arrow is this great scenario that we create around it that causes so much dissatisfaction and discomfort. Um, you know, and we crave it to be pleasant, and our mind makes up stories that it's going to be unpleasant, or they're going to take my pleasantness away. My, the, the pleasant is going to end. How do I avoid that? And so this, this teaching about the dart, or the arrow, the second arrow, um, the, uh, the Buddha is talking to his monks, and he says, you know, monks, um, there's a, the, I love these terms, they call, call them un, untaught worldlings, or this other translation is uninstructed run-of-the-mill person. <laughs> so, you know, before you practice, you're just an uninstructed, run-of-the-mill person or an untaught worldling. And what that means, it's just somebody who's not aware of the Dharma, somebody who's not mindful in any way, who's just kind of lost uh, without paying attention. They, another, another way of saying it is that they have dust in their eyes. They don't see things clearly. And so both... Um, Uninstructed worldlings, you know, people with dust in their eyes experience painful feelings, neutral feelings, pleasant feelings. They experience all these things. And well-taught disciples, monks, people who are on the path also experience pleasant feelings, painful feelings, and neutral feelings. We all do that. All human beings experience these feelings. And the Buddha says, what's the distinction? What is the difference? How can you tell the difference between uh, someone with dust in his eyes, this run-of-the-mill person, and someone who's been studying, who's cultivated mindfulness and an awareness of what's going on? And the Buddha says, okay, I will help you understand. Pay close attention. Um, An uninstructed worldling, having been touched by a painful feeling, he resists and resents it. And then he, when he resists and resents that painful feeling, an underlying tendency of resistance against it arises and comes into his mind. 
under the impact of this painful feeling, he he craves sensory experience, sense of joy. So when he has, when we have this this unpleasant feeling, we immediately kick into can't can't feel that must have good, push away bad, give me good, whatever it is, whatever it is. You know, we we stub our toe, and it's like ah. Oh, can't have that. How do I get rid of it? You, you know, you said something to me that made me feel bad. I need to, I need to do something to eradicate that, either by blaming you, attacking you, having a beer, whatever. We need to get rid of these painful feelings by immediately going to pleasant feelings. I mean, it's like I sounds, you know, years ago, my mom died many, many years ago, and when I, I got home. From from school, I was in graduate school, and I got home and my roommate said, mom died, your brother called your mom passed away. And my immediate response is, give me a beer. I don't wanna feel that. Make it pleasant, make it pleasant, make it pleasant. Run away, run away, run away. You know, that's what we do. We can't, we don't know how to sit with the unpleasant because we've been conditioned. We haven't paid attention to this, uh, the, this, um, this tendency to push away. And we think, and we are given all these messages by our culture, by the world in which we live, that <coughs> if it doesn't feel good, it's because you're doing it wrong. You know, you don't have the right toothpaste. You don't live in the right place. You don't wear the right clothes. You don't have the right job. You're not in the right relationship. And it changes. It's, it's not all one size fits all, but we hear these messages over and over and over again. They're on buses. You know, we're walking down the street and they go by our eyes. They're on TV, whether we're paying attention to them or not. They're, they're moving in and they become part of our, 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 our cultural karma. You know, we get all kinds of messages. All kinds of messages. And we, we internalize them. And that's when we're uninstructed, when we, we are not questioning this. When we're, when we're not saying, wait a minute, I'm not, this is unpleasant. Why, why am I buying this bullshit? It's only causing me extra suffering because you get the prize and it's never good enough. There's always one more prize you need to get. And that's the story we create. So there's the unpleasant feeling which is the first arrow and then the second arrow is our inability to deal with it and our chasing pleasure our, not, our inability to stay with what is and our need for it to be something different an untaught worldling O monks does not know any other escape from painful feelings except the enjoyment of sensual happiness he chases pleasure that's the only way he knows how to deal with unpleasant and he begins to um, he has then uh, and then when he and him when he enjoys sensual pleasure and I don't mean just you know sexual sensual pleasure but sense sensory pleasure pleasure pleasant sensations sound smells taste whatever good food good smell good music good clothes because they feel good they look good pleasant thoughts then you begin to crave those lust for them it becomes an obsession so not only do we push away the unpleasant but we crave more of the pleasant you know, 
one is good, two is better. You know, it's like the old the old uh, genie who you know said you can I you can have three wishes, and my wish was always unlimited wishes. You know, it's like three is not enough. I have got to have unlimited numbers of wishes because it's just and those probably wouldn't be enough either because when we get on this 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 rabbit this hamster wheel of wanting more and more and more and more and more and more and more, it's never enough. It's never enough, and we live in this constant state of dissatisfaction. And that constant state of dissatisfaction is the second arrow that the Buddha talked about. We have the experience, and instead of being with it, whatever it is, we immediately react. This uninstructed worldling reacts because we're not paying attention. And so the Buddha says what we have to do is we have to cultivate mindfulness. We have to start paying attention. We have to start recognizing when we're caught up in that, when it's unpleasant, how do we stay with that? How do we sit with that? Mm -hmm. Because we all experience uh, death and birth and grief and sadness and loss. So how do we learn to hold them? as human beings. And it's this cultivation of mindfulness, of seeing that, um, you know, we, we develop a, we cultivate a patient, non-reactive, curious, and welcoming attitude towards anything in our experience that seems unpleasant. We cultivate a patient, non-reactive, curious, and welcoming attitude towards anything in our experience that it seems unpleasant. So if it's unpleasant, we don't turn away, we don't push it away, we turn towards it and we say, hello, hello unpleasant. I know, you don't, you're probably sitting there going, what? Because it's, it's so counterintuitive. I mean, it's, it's, if, you, if you look at our, our, our hard wiring, it's like, no, we run away from the unpleasant because it's a survival mechanism. We see tigers coming at us, we don't sit there and go, hi. You know, we run away because it's a safety mechanism. But this is, this is a different degree. This is a more sophisticated, nuanced way of being with our experience. There is this, this um, reality of birth and death and sickness and, and um, sorrow. And we learn to be with them in a patient, non-reactive, curious, and welcoming way. The first arrow is the physical response. We have to begin to distinguish between the first arrow and the second arrow. The first arrow, when something unpleasant happens, we connect with it. What does it feel like? And that's why this teaching in this practice and meditation of cultivating awareness of our physical experience is so helpful. It's that first foundation of mindfulness. Cultivating mindfulness helps us distinguish between the first and second arrow and helps us put down the second arrow or not pick it up in the first place. And we just be, rest with the first arrow. So when we begin to connect with our physical experience, we begin to um, recognize these things in our, in our, in our, uh, in our being. When you hear bad news, a lot of times you feel it. 
And if we're really disconnected from our physical experience, sometimes it takes a huge or really uh, big dose of news to feel, you know, sometimes we get, feel like we got kicked in the gut. I've had sometimes people tell me stuff and it's like, man, I can really feel it. Or, or we're, we, we um, get a tightness in our chest or we begin to sweat. We have a physical response. And what we get to do, instead of going, oh, I don't want that, I don't want that, I don't want that, we learn to be with the physical experience. What is this? That's the curiosity that we cultivate towards our experience. Oh, he said that. Or this fear that I'm going to be late, or this fear of, of, of something happening, of losing this relationship. That's going to happen. And so when that fear arises, what, what does that feel like in our experience? What does that feel like in your body? Can you be with that? That's this cultivation. That's when you begin to become an um, instructed worldling. You're not, not instructed, uninstructed anymore. You're not run-of-the-mill anymore. Now you have this level of discernment, being able to discern, oh, that's in this emotion that's arising. You're beginning to recognize when there's greed, when there's sadness, when there's emotions present, and what they feel like. What does jealousy feel like in your body? What does fear feel like? And so we begin to recognize these experiences, and we hang out with them that first arrow and we rest with them we rest with the first arrow because the second arrow takes us down this other path we, we have this tendency to blame when something's unpleasant we kick into sometimes blame and denouncing <clears throat> others to try and mitigate the experience I feel terrible. If you hadn't done blah, 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 then I wouldn't feel this way. If that person hadn't said that, then if he hadn't, she hadn't, they hadn't, I'd be okay today. So we have this tendency to blame. That's the mind taking over. That's the inability to sit with the discomfort. And the mind takes over and we denounce <coughs> others. Or we blame ourselves. Anybody ever go down that route? Well, a couple of us. Yeah. Don't ask. You're so stupid. You'll never amount to anything. And these are not voices that we installed ourselves. You know, these are, this is our deep conditioning. You know, if you were, you have so much potential. If you only worked harder. We've been getting so many messages all our lives that we're not okay that we internalize them. And so we blame ourselves when things are unpleasant. I, I know a person who, she was diagnosed with cancer in her 70s, and she was blaming herself for, you know, she worked out and ate right for like 40 years. She was like uber on top of this stuff. And she, because people get sick, aging and sickness is unavoidable. She blamed herself for, for getting cancer. 
what we do to ourselves. The first arrow is the diagnosis and the second arrow is the blame. The blaming of others, the blaming of ourselves. And then the third thing we do with this unpleasant sensation is we try and numb it. We distract ourselves with short-term pleasures. Sex and drugs and rock and roll. And shopping and gambling and anything else. Work, you know, meditation. You know, we can use spiritual practice as a distraction as well. We can take teachings and, and do what we call the spiritual bypass. Oh, I don't feel that. I, you know, no, there's no self, there's nothing to feel. You know, that's a, that's a disconnect. That's a denial. That's, that's like, that's just, you're trying to go around. It's just another way not to feel. And this practice says, no, you get to feel. You get to be a human being in all its glory, in all its joys, in all its sorrows. What is it, 10,000 joys, 10,000 sorrows? That's it. We, we get to face those, those worldly winds, those, those twin categories of praise and blame. We get praised, we get blamed. We win, we lose. There's gain and loss. You know, people love us, people hate us, and all we're doing is sitting here, and it just comes at us. How do we handle that without adding extra crap on top of it? Mm -hmm. We investigate that first arrow. We investigate the experience. We sit with, oh, this is jealousy. This is what that feels. Or even even pleasant. You know, can we stay with the pleasant experience without needing it to, to, to stay that way? We're getting into fear that it's going to end. That happens a lot. I'm not going to allow myself to truly enjoy the moment because I know it's going to end and I don't want to have to, you know, deal with that. We don't allow ourselves to fully be intimate with others. Because there's like that danger of it ending or the danger of it being heard. So what, when we're in that fear, we're not present. We're in the future, in our, in our made-up mind story. It's all made up. No, I know this is going to happen. No, I can guarantee this is going to happen. It's like, no, you can't. Just made-up shit. Some of us have really well-honed um, mechanisms for making up stories and, you know, we can list reasons why and point down the road to say, you know, if this happens, then that'll happen or that'll happen. And others of us have these just giant unnamed fears. But most of the time, and when we're feeling overwhelmed and unable to deal, it's because... We're not mindful. We're not in the present moment. We've taken that first arrow and we've just shoved another one in on top of it. And so all, really, the answer is just to be with the one arrow. Be with what is. Be with the reality of what's happening. Hmm? Be with the reality of what's happening. 
And the nice part about this meditation practice as we cultivate it is we begin to see our storylines. We begin to recognize the paths we go down over and over and over and over again. Because we're not, you know, we don't have that huge um, a range of, of reactions. They're really pretty, pretty habitual, excuse me, because we're creatures of habit. So we have a tendency to react very much the same way. We have these habits and we have these storylines. The people may change, but how we respond has a tendency to stay the same. So we have these, these stories. We have these personas, these ideas. Like we're always, we're always the one on the outside looking in. You know? Or we're always this character, or we always, we're always that character. So the story always seems to be around this particular persona that we've created, this idea, this, this self-view. Sakaya Ditti. I love that word. That self-view we have of ourselves. This is the self-view. And it, needs, it's, it looks like that, and any deviation from what we think it should be is painful. Or, or um, scary. So what the teaching, what the Buddha invites us to do is investigate that self-view. What is our storyline? What is your storyline? And a lot of it is, again, it's not our fault, it's our conditioning. You know, we've been, we've been conditioned to hear things about ourselves. We've been conditioned to believe things about ourselves, either through our families, our friends, our neighborhood, our culture, um, the world at large, advertising. You know, if you don't fit the, the particular <coughs> idea of the, uh, what you should look like in this culture, if you're not white, if you're not thin, if you're not blonde, if you're not a particular whatever, then, yeah, you know, yeah. and those those stories are internalized. And so, what we get to do is start chipping away at those stories and see they're just stories; that they're not reality. That's the glorious part of some of these teachings in, in Buddhism. There's such a such a. Uh, Inequality in them that you know in the in the in the teachings around ethical behavior and integrity and uh, precepts we we don't intentionally kill another being, which is also you know broadened out into we don't cause harm, we don't cause harm to any being, any person is you know we don't cause harm. Why? Because we exist. Just cause, not because we're X, Y, or Z, but because we're all equal in this. None of us want to be hurt. All of us would like to be safe and feel connected to other beings. So we live in a way that makes other people feel safe. We live in a way that doesn't cause harm. But when we're driven by these fears, when we're driven by this need to have it always be okay for me, we hurt other people because we're not paying attention. We're blindly taking care of ourselves and stepping on other people to make sure we're okay in relationships and jobs and just, you know, in the supermarket. 
can be a real jerk in the supermarket when I think people aren't doing it right. I have this thing about those aren't the rules, you know, and it helps me. I don't know why. It's just kind of the way I'm built, but you know, it's like I sometimes I was in, I was in driving in Switzerland and Germany a few years ago, and I'm like. I like driving here because they obey all the traffic rules. <laughs> don't go to Italy because they don't obey any of the rules. And it's like, and it's like, you know. But you know what? Life is messy. Life is messy. And if we can allow the messiness in, if we can allow ourselves to be messy, if we can allow the, our circumstances to be messy, if we can allow the other people in our lives to be messy. It's so much easier because we're not chasing this perfect image. We're not chasing this story. We're not blaming others. We're not blaming ourselves. We're not distracting ourselves with any kind of out. Get me the hell out of here. Like when I said when my mom passed away, it's like, give me a beer. That's all I want. I'm not feeling any of this. And I didn't. I, didn't, I chose not to feel a thing. I didn't tell anybody because if I told people, then they'd commiserate with me and I'd have to feel those feelings. And I was not interested in feeling those feelings. Thank you very much. That is the second arrow. That is some shut down stuff. But that's who I was, you know, um, 35 years ago. I was incapable of experiencing those emotions. I was incapable. I didn't know how to deal with them. And slowly, slowly, slowly recognizing through the, that journey of the, the pain or the suffering of the second arrow of chasing pleasant all the time, it just got worse and worse and worse because you cannot live in a way that's constantly running. It doesn't work. And so to turn towards and face is what the Buddha's prescription is. Turn towards and face. And you know, when the person, um, the instructed person, you know, when, when touched by a painful feeling, he is not resistance. There's no resistance, there's no, there's no obsession about the painful feeling. He doesn't start chasing pleasant feelings. He's just able to be with. She's just able to be with. You know, there's no, no tentacles grab onto it. It's just like, okay, right now it's like this. Right now it's like this. Mm-hmm. We're able to be with what's happening. And the way we do it is to, with mindfulness, pay attention to the experience that feels, you know, what that feels like, as I mentioned before. And we ask the question that, you know, we have beginner's mind. We have don't know mind, which um, they write about in, um, Suzuki writes about in, um, you know, Zen mind, beginner's mind. You know, if we have all the answers, then we, we, we have this preconceived notion but if we continually continually stay open and say, I, what is this? What is this? What is happening right this in this breath? 
What is it? What am I experiencing in the body in this moment? What is this? Then we've stopped. We put a brake on that runaway brain and are willing to turn towards. That's what you're doing in meditation. You're practicing staying with. You're practicing returning. So we have what is this? You know? What is this? And that the mind, when it goes off, it's, uh, this is another great word, it's papancha, this, this proliferation of thought. I'll tell this great story. You know, I've told this before, but years and years and years ago when I was... Um, my husband and I were not married yet and I had a piece of shit car and it broke down one more time and it broke down the night before we went camping so we went camping and on the way back from camping I was thinking about my car on the way home and thinking oh, I'm going to have to go get my car taken care of and it's such an old piece of crap I, I, um, I'm going to have to get a new car I'm not going to be able to get it fixed it's just a piece of crap and I'm going to have to get a new car I can't afford a new car Oh, if I want a new car, I'll have to get another job. And um, if I have to get, if I'm getting another job, I'm going to have to move back to New York to get a job. I'm not going to be able to get a job out here in California. And if I move back to New York, I'm just not going to be able to get married. That was like 15 seconds. <laughs> I'd gone from my, I've got to get my car fixed to I'm calling off the wedding. And then I went, whoa, wait a minute, stop, 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 come back, come back, come back, come back. Pay attention. Come back. But we spend so much time not paying attention and not coming back. So that's what we're training to do. Come back, come back, come back. What is this? Oh, annoyance with the car. Okay, annoyance. What does that feel like? Ugh, it's in my gut. Okay, what? let me be with it. Breathe in, breathe out, breathe in, breathe out. And oftentimes it just dissipates. Oftentimes it dissipates. So the first arrow was, ugh, my car's a piece of shit. Second arrow was like moving, leaving town and never seeing my husband again. You know. So that's, that's a silly little example, but how often do we do that? How often do we do that? So I want to I also bring it back to, um, bring it back to uh, right here, right now with what's going on with me. And... Um, you know, I mentioned that I went to see, I stopped to see my brother last weekend um, on my way up to um, Seattle. He lives in Portland. I hadn't seen him in, I guess I said, in five years. And he is a lot older than I am. He's 75. And um, he, all of a sudden, he, a couple, a few months ago, he was all of a sudden is not able to walk. And he was walking three, four miles a day. And, and now he's got some kind of weird thing and he's just kind of shuffling along. And um, they doctors can't figure out what's going on with him. They thought it was sciatica. They thought it was this. He's had a whole bunch of MRIs, and they can't they can't figure it out, which is really just just really frustrating. And now they think it might be neurological. Maybe he has Parkinson's, but they don't know. They don't know. And he's really depressed, and he's really sad and depressed. And um, and it was hard to to see that. I mean, we had a really nice visit, but it, I felt really sad and. You know, I don't get to Portland very often. I haven't been to Portland in 20 years. He's only been up there for a few years. But I, I, will I see him again? I don't know, you know. I don't know what his story is. I don't know what's going to happen. And I, had to, I was aware of that when I was there. I was aware of that when I was leaving. And so what's coming up for me is this great sadness. This great sadness of, 
you know, this is, this, okay, here's this sadness. Now, that's the first arrow. How do I hold that sadness? And it's not there all the time, but when I think of it, it comes up and I'm feeling it now. I'm feeling it in my chest. I'm feeling the sadness in my chest when I think about it. And it's like, okay, can I just be with it? I don't need to fix it. The mind is not like I'm going to get on the phone and talk to those doctors or I'm going to move up to Portland so I'm going to be with him and watch him every, every single day the rest of his life. It's just like this is the way it is. This is the reality of our existence. He's there. I'm here. I'm just going to be with him. And when the sadness arises, be with the sadness. I don't need to have a beer. I don't need to, I don't need to do anything else to be with that. So Buddha says we turn towards and we feel it. We're not overwhelmed by it. We're not destroyed by it. But we're with it when it's there. We're with it when it's there. And at the same time, as that's going on, there's all this other stuff happening with all the, the sexual abuse and, and uh, you know all the people that have um, all of a sudden been brought forward and the Me Too campaign or the Me Too hashtag and all the, all the people who are coming forward with their experiences of, of sexual abuse and, and, um, and it brings up my experiences, my Me Too stories of, my, of what happened in my life and what's coming up for me is anger is anger. There's, and I'm not an angry person. I'm, I, I'm the runaway and hide person, not the fight and punch you person. So anger is not a typical response for me. So I'm feeling all this anger. I'm sitting around, Louis C.K., fuck you. It's a totally Buddhist thing to say, but that's like where it's, you know, it's like all these people, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. No, just like fuck you. Just fuck you. And, I find, and I'm like, wow, look at that. Okay, so how do I be with that? How do I recognize that anger, that first arrow, and keep it from moving into the second arrow? Because I can go into that second arrow because it's, it's a slippery slope. I had an interchange with someone today via text. And it was like, blah, blah, blah. He said, I said, he said, I said, and the last thing he said was, okay, now he, there's no response needed on my part, but my response, I was like, the only thing I can text back is, fuck you, or <laughs> something really horribly sarcastic. And I sat, and there's a teaching on wise speech. Is it necessary? Is it kind? You know? Is it, what's my intention? Is it harsh? It's like, yeah, no, it's none of those things. <laughs> okay, I just won't say anything. And say, oh, look at that anger, how it's driving so much. It's like, wow, okay, we're just going to have, that anger's going to come and go. It's just there. It's how, what does it feel like? Okay, that's up here too. That's this rock right here. You know, and sometimes I'm like the jaw and the hand. It's like, oh, okay. I can be with it and I can laugh. I'm not overwhelmed or consumed by it. And I can, I can see what, you know, maybe it leads, for, leads to something else, but not in an angry, reactive way. 
in a, in a wise, responsible, responsive way. When we can sit with the feelings that arise, whether they're pleasant or unpleasant, and we, we respond appropriately, there's a much more balanced, um, a balanced way of being, and I didn't cause any harm. I didn't cause any harm by reacting out of anger. I was able to be with it and not perpetuate that second era. So there was no suffering. I didn't create any suffering. There was the discomfort of the reality of the messiness, but not this extra level of crap on top of it that then I have to disengage from. So that's, that's my, my, my thoughts on this second arrow, and it's such a wise teaching because it's such a core of, of how we create, you know, it's a core of the Buddha's, the Buddha's message of, dude, you don't have to live this way. You know, he had friends, his close friends died, and he grieved them because he was still a human being. We're still all human beings. We can grieve, we can have these emotions, but we don't have to perpetuate them and, and get lost in stories. We can be with them. Nothing doesn't belong. As I said in the meditation, hello. And we can have, you know, we can live in, in harmony with these experiences. So those are my thoughts, and we have a little bit of time if, if there are any questions or comments about any of that stuff. Yeah? I was just thinking, um, how it's not, I know that it's not a contradiction, but it sounds like a contradiction when you talk about um, uh, like being uh, like a beginner's mind and to ask them what is this mm-hmm. instead of like being a um, or an educated mind saying, oh, that's what that is. You know, can you talk, do you understand what I'm talking about? Talk about the difference between the two of those? Between, they talk about the difference between what is this and oh, that's what that is? Yeah, because the oh, that's what that is, we're doing that for years and years and years. Mm-hmm. Have the, you know, like recognizing it, mm-hmm. I guess, but it doesn't really change anything. No, I think it's. I think what is this, and oh, that's what that is, is just like um, the same side, two sides of the same coin. It's like, it's either before the fact or after the fact. And I mean, sometimes you can say, "What is this?" and then you go, "Oh, that's what that is." I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't see, based on my understanding of your question, that there's really a, a difference. You know, that's what that is. <laughs> this well, is just you're a, assuming what you know what it is. Unless you're it's assuming you know what it is, yeah. yeah. I just seem to contradict against the beginner's mind. I like always think I know what that what, what what's coming up and what is. Oh well, if you think, then you know what. Then if then what I would suggest you do, if if you find yourself saying, "Oh, that's what that is," take a step back and go, "Is it really?" And and maybe investigate and say, "Well, what is it?" And when I say, "What is this?" It says, "As it's arising, oh, this is anger arising." You know, and, and so maybe you know, take some of the 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 frills off the story and get into what's underneath instead of the like I said like I said we all have our stories it's like oh that's what that is it's that same old thing and it might be you know like I have these patterns that these, this deep conditioning that my go to is always I'm, I'm on the outside looking in I'm always the kid that never gets picked I'm that one and so when things come up and I start getting into that I go oh it's that, it's that conditioning and that's why I'm feeling this way 
And sometimes I, when you bring a light to it, you go, oh, that's what that is. And so then it dissipates because I'm not lost in it. Oh, nobody loves me. Nobody loves me. I can go there, and then I'll go, oh, wait, it's that old story. That's what's driving the, the second arrow. And so then you kind of let go of that and come back and just are with the, oh, it's, yeah, I got left out, and it feels sad. So just be with the sadness rather than the, nobody loves me, I'm never going to get invited to another party as long as I live scenario so does that make yeah there was a listen yeah um would you say the first arrow then is the feeling or the pain and the second is the story about it yeah i guess i have a question then about the me too thing does that make sense but i can do this the same with like any injustice mm-hmm. basically with like you know i certainly felt like outrageous say growing up because my parents were pretty fucked up mm-hmm. you know mentally ill people and um and so it's this feeling of like, why me slash, you know, like, shouldn't it be different? Mm-hmm. And um, I guess the thing is, like, in the case of something where, yes, like, you do want the world to be different. Or like, let's say the Me Too, like, yes, like, things should be better. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you stop from like, that's actually a true story. Right. So, so yeah, I that's I, that's such a, a common um, question and concern about the teachings of the Buddhists, like because so often it sounds like just deal with it, you know, this is the way it is, deal with it, and that's not the message at all. The message is we have to connect with the reality of the situation, and then. Um, you know, we don't run away, we don't get lost in the fantastical stories, you know, about our life and this and that. We stay grounded and then say, is there something I can do? Is there something I can do? You know, it's like, okay, um, with, 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 you know, the Me Too, I don't know, whatever that makes sense, you know, legislation or, you know, Busting up Keurigs? I think that'll help. Um, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> but, you know, it's like, well, what makes sense for me in this situation? What is there anything I can do? Maybe I can send, make a donation. What can I do? I don't know. Social injustice, you know, inequity. What, what is the next thing that I can do? What makes sense? What's the appropriate response? It's like, yes, I this is the reality of the situation yes is there grave injustices being um being driven by greed hatred and delusion by being driven by these people who are uninstructed worldlings who don't see who are lost in their story lost in their papancha deep into their conditioning and not seeing what they're doing the harm they're causing and um i want to do what i can to end suffering and do this practice to benefit other beings as well it's so what what can i do so there's not a one size fits all you have to investigate for yourself what makes sense okay here's this story getting lost in the why me does no does no good it's just it's a reality parents were fucked up this is what happened unfortunate sad but that was then 
and the, the emotions, the feelings may still arise, but I bring compassion to the unpleasant emotions that arise. Like if it's a painful emotion, bring some compassion to yourself. Be kind to yourself. That's the response that you do in that moment. You're kind to yourself, and that why me is just proliferation. That's the story. So just be kind to the physical experience that you're having when, you're, when, when some recollection of abuse comes up. Be kind in the present because the feeling is in the present. The story is in the past. So be with the, the feeling. And then if something needs to be done, then you, then you take action as appropriate to end injustice, to end you know, the proliferation of, of, of suffering and the causing of pain in whatever way makes sense for each of us. That's being engaged. That's being awake. That's being mindful. We end suffering where we see it. We don't just not cause it, but we end it where we can. And we are just about out of time. So I want to thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for being here.